0: Okay, if I can encourage you to take your seats again, if you want to bring your drinks to your seats, you can more than welcome. I do love it when we're kind of back as a community, having had a summer season, because basically it feels like this sense of chaos if you're an outsider looking in, where for me what I think is, is this bunch of people who actually enjoy being community together. And can't wait to kind of get a bit of chatting. What I encourage you, though, if you are part of the community, please let's always be looking out for those that are looking in and looking to incorporate them in to who we are as a community, because it is exciting. I think what we've got here is great, and it's always good to add people in. So please do do that. Um, This morning, as we've kind of said already, is the start of a new series where we're going to be looking at the letter of the book of Ephesians. But before we get there, I want us to kind of set it in context as whenever we start a new series uh, as a community, we uh, always want to understand that it isn't that we've just literally uh, got the Bible and flipped it open and said, oh, let's look at that then. But rather, it's within a context of the journey that we're on at this moment with God. And this year, 2015, we felt that God's particularly been shaping us around, reminding us of the fact that he has named us for a reason. And this year is therefore a year where we're being characterized, exploring, understanding something more of what it means to be named, what it means to be named Oasis. And what we've said is Oasis is all about four us. It's all about us being a place of rest, refreshment, restoration, and refuge. And therefore, whatever we're seeking to be and do, that God has named us Oasis for a purpose in order that we be those four R's within this city and beyond. And that's our greatest desire. And then from that point, what we've done is we've therefore explored the Bible through God's leading in order that we'd understand something of more of what it looks like as we seek to be that in this location. So we started the year off looking at who God is looking at the I am statements of Jesus and how, as we understand who God is, it then reveals something about who we are. And then from there, we then got on to look at the whole aspect of how we're like a world together, a well of God's Holy Spirit that's actually there to not only do us good, but to do good to all that we come into contact with. And then if you've been around us over the summer, you know we've just ended a series looking at this phenomenal story of the book of Ruth, which reveals this just magnificent um, episode of events that continues to reveal people who reveal the very heart of God that is loyal, loving, and kind. And it's this story of just abundant kindness. And what we've understood through it is actually just as we've seen kindness, we've also understood that we've received kindness. Kindness before, beyond anything we could have ever imagined. That was revealed through God, out of love through his son Jesus, coming to live, die and rise again. In order that we wouldn't only be those who then receive kindness, but also then are those that are fashioned like him to continuously show kindness. Showing kindness to all around. Which then gets us to this point, where we want to kind of launch in to the book of Ephesians. Now I promise you, having looked at it, this is going to be a series that takes us a while to get through. not because we couldn't think of anything else to do, but because we want to do it justice. And so what we've entitled this series is Crafted. As what we're going to go on to see is actually part of us being named and part of our identity purpose is going to be revealed through this book, through this letter of Ephesians. But within it, what we're going to understand is part of our identity is we are those that have been crafted. I don't know if you... Take an interest in furniture or paintings or sculptures, or maybe you're a parent, or maybe you've been around a parent's house where they suddenly reveal an object that a child's made. And in it, what you look and you think, why on earth are you drawing our attention to that? (laughs) But to the parent, it's like the best thing that's ever been made. And you look and you think, man, I'd kind of maybe allow that to be on a bottom shelf for about a week. And then I'd kind of bin it. Whereas for this parent, it has pride of place. And then it, what you understand as you start to see that object is as that parent speaks about it, they seem to see it in a different way to you. See, what they see when they show that object is something that was made uniquely for them. And was made uniquely for them with their child's own hands that this child just thought, kind of put all of themselves in this object to show something of their love to their parents. And so this parent, as they show you this kind of object where you think, man, surely that was destined for the bin, is actually an object that takes pride of place because it's an object that shows something about the, who their child is and how much their child loves them. You see, when you get some, an object that's being crafted... Let's not look just at a child's thing. But if you look at a piece of furniture, I love looking. I really love chairs. I've got a whole book that's just about chairs. That's how much I love chairs. But when you get a craftsman who's uniquely made a chair, what they've done is they've made something that looks beautiful. It not only looks beautiful, it's unique. It's not only unique, but it's also something they've taken time and attention over. They've invested something of themselves into the object they've crafted. But also, not only have they invested time and energy into what they've crafted to show something of themselves, they've also revealed something, in the end, that has a set purpose. See, these chairs, however beautiful they might be, and I promise you, I have a book of very, very beautiful chairs. Some of you are not daring to believe me. Please come around to my house, 47 Sherrington Road, B29, 7ST, I will show you my chair book. But, but in it, the set purpose of all of those chairs, however uniquely crafted they are, was that they would be sat on. See, when you talk about something that's been crafted, you're talking about something that is being lovingly thought after, invested in. Doesn't matter what the object is, it's always lovingly invested in. If you talk to anyone who's made something, they say, There's something of me in this. That's why they sometimes react harshly if you then criticize what they've made. Because they've invested something themselves in it. So it's lovingly, but it's it's made. It's made by them. It isn't they went out to Ikea and they made it by following the instructions. It's that they made it from grafting it from whatever substance they've used. It's lovingly made for purpose. And if you like, as we look at this series in Ephesians, what we can understand is this letter was lovingly made for purpose in order that it would cause every single one of us to understand that if we've centered our lives around Jesus, around his life, death, and resurrection, we are those that too have been lovingly made for purpose. And so it's with that in mind that we're going to get to look at this letter of Ephesians. But before we get there, I wanted to... um also give you a resource to use, and some helpers are going to pass them around now. But we've got a resource that we're hoping will help you as we go through this letter called A Comment, Not a Commentary, which is a book of devotion. It's a book not to rush through, but it's a book to use at a rhythm that's going to work for you. i ask you, please take one. They're free. There isn't a hidden charge. There isn't some sense of uh, you're going to owe us something. It's just literally a gift to, from us to you that we're hoping that you will use. The point isn't that it looks pretty on your shelf. The point is that you open it and read it. And this book has the whole of the story of Ephesians broken down into 39 parts. And it uses a version of the Bible slightly different to the one we'd use in the morning. It uses the message version. And in it, it'll give you a passage of Scripture, a comment about that Scripture, and somewhere between one and five questions to think about. The point of this book is that we all get to look at it and say, actually, how am I going to be shaped by this letter? Now, the danger at this moment in time in giving you all something that you can look at is that you're now not going to listen to me. Here's the beauty of the book. You get to take it home. You get to take it and look over it for the whole of this next week. Who knows the whole of the next month? Who knows the whole of the next few months? What i ask you to do is close it, put it in your bag... Stick it on your bum if you think you're going to still be tempted to look at it. Put it under your chair, but please don't leave it there. Please take it away. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you think, is this, is this not for me? No, this is definitely for you. You will get something out of this book. Uh, if you're thinking, well, I don't know if I want it, give it to someone else then. But please, let's just leave them as fodder for the chairs, because I promise you they will not benefit from it. says so that. Therefore, this morning, where do we start? He thought, well, we've already started. Oh, no. We've got to get into the letter, haven't we? Well, let's start at the beginning of the letter. That's where we get to discover how crafted this letter is. Well, we get to understand this is a book that has been uniquely, lovingly made for purpose in order that each and every one of us would understand that we are uniquely, lovingly made for purpose. So we're literally just going to look at two verses. Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 2, where it says this, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from God our father and the lord Jesus Christ paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from the god our father and the lord Jesus Christ the first thing we need to understand, this is a letter that has been crafted by someone. A letter that's been crafted by what we're told in verse 1 is by Paul, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is a letter that's been lovingly crafted by a man called Paul. A man called Paul who identifies himself. And identifies himself saying, well, who I am is I'm an apostle. In other words, I'm one one who is sent with authority. But in it, when he says that, he doesn't then say, well, I'm one who sent with authority because that's who I say I am. Isn't he saying, actually, oh, you know how you know all the people who are apostles? Those are the ones that Jesus directly had around him. You know those 12 and he said, actually, you're going to be my apostles. You're going to be those I send with authority to share the news of who I am and what I did. Isn't he says, oh, I've been labeled like them. I've made myself. I'm like them. Paul says, oh, no, no. This isn't a label that I've given myself to identify myself to everyone else. I want you to understand something about who I am. It is I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus. I'm not an apostle of my own making. I'm I'm an apostle of someone. It's of Jesus. It's Jesus whose authority I'm under. It's Jesus who has sent me. That isn't of my own own doing. This is unmerited. This isn't something that I kind of earned myself. It isn't a title that I put on myself. It's rather something that came as a gift from God. It's something that was the very will of God. See, Paul, from the very opening of revealing who he is, I don't know how you start letters in our culture. We tend to start with the person we're addressing. We say, dear so-and-so. Maybe you write an email and you're writing an email to someone who doesn't know you. I tend to do this. If they don't know me, I do tend to introduce myself quite quickly. And I'll say, hi, whatever your name is. I'm Adrian. You don't know me, but this is something about me. In this culture, you introduce yourself first before you then went on to speak to those that you're writing to. And Paul introduces himself and he wants anyone and everyone who kind of gets to see who he is to understand this about him. That everything that he is, everything that he does is nothing to do with him. It's all as a result of God's grace towards him. God's grace, that grace is that word that means God's unlimited, unmerited, unconditional love, favour and mercy towards every single one of us. And Paul says, look... Who I am is all as a result of the will of God, all to do with God's unmerited, un- unbelievably unlimited favor, love, mercy to me. Everything that I am, everything I do is all as a result of who God is and what he's done in and through me. You see, Paul wants us not only to understand that about himself, is he wants to always be a provocation to cause anyone who then sees who he is, whether it was at the first moment of hearing from him, to today, hearing through the a voice of someone who's dead. Is to actually see that this man who was shaped by God's grace becomes like a window in, in order that every single one of us would understand that we're to, too, be lives that are shaped by God's grace. That just as God has fashioned who Paul is, God is wanting to fashion who we are. And that's something of what Paul's going to do in terms of unpacking this whole letter, is an unpacking of how and we are to be defined when we center our life around Jesus. But at this point in time, he just introduced himself. It's a letter crafted by Paul. It's a letter crafted by Paul, and it's crafted for a group of people. So it's a letter crafted for, we're told in verse 1, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a letter that's written to a bunch of people who've lived their lives centred around Jesus. At this point in time, now, for most of us, this is going to be of no interest whatsoever, but actually, I think it is of interest to all of us. See, in some of the early manuscripts of this letter, actually, the word Ephesus isn't there. It's just kind of, it just reads, to the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It doesn't limit it to a certain location. And actually, when we go on to see this letter, it's not going to be written in the way that Paul normally writes to different audiences. You see, often when he writes to a specific church group, he knows intimate stuff about them. He's answering questions they've asked. He refers to individuals that he knows. Now, what we do know is that the church in Ephesus was a church that Paul had both been involved in establishing, but also been around for a number of years. It was a church that he knew really well. Therefore, if he was writing specifically to them, it would therefore have a load of warmth of him expressing his love towards them. It's said that when, in Acts, it talks about when Paul finally leaves the elders in Ephesus, it says that all the eldership team cried because they didn't want Paul to go. This was an intimate connection that Paul had with the church in Ephesus. But when you read this letter, it doesn't have that sense of warmth. That's because actually this letter was a slightly differently made letter, written letter. In that though it says to the saints in Ephesus, it was actually not only for the church in Ephesus. It was actually for the surrounding area as well around Ephesus. So if you like, it was like writing and saying, to the church in Birmingham and the surrounding area, to the West Midlands, to the Western East Midlands. This is a letter that's going to be carried from church to church, from believer to believer, to deeply encourage them, which is amazing news for us in 21st century Birmingham. Because what it means is we can now be part of that wider group of churches this letter is written to. So it isn't that we've got to kind of continuously, like live like slightly on the side of this letter. Kind of, if I stand here, I won't be past the pillar. I still will be for you guys. But it's that we don't live kind of slightly on the outside of this letter, thinking, "Oh yeah, it's written to the Philippians, and Paul knew them. Therefore, this is what it meant for the Philippians. I wonder what it might mean for us." Actually, this is a letter where actually we can rightly add Oasis Church Birmingham or any church anywhere into this title, because actually it's written in a way to. Encourage all believers everywhere. Which means we can read and write, read this to say, to the saints in Oasis Church, Birmingham, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Which means that straight away this letter has relevance to us. Because Paul wants us to understand this isn't just a letter that's crafted by someone for someone, it's a letter that's about understanding that we are crafted. See, Paul wants us to understand that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the two biggest questions that we face as humanity have been answered. The two biggest questions about our identity and our purpose. In other words, who am I and why am I here? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, have been answered in and through him. It may be that you're here saying, Well, but I have centered my life on Jesus, but. I still feel like I'm grappling with who am I and why am I here? Maybe you haven't centered your life on Jesus and you're grappling with who am I and why am I here? Well, Paul wants to answer those questions just really quickly as he opens up this letter to us. And how he does it, he just says, actually, I want to talk to you about your identity and your purpose, your understanding of who you are and the understanding of why you're here. And he says it in verse one, which just says this to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul wants us to understand that if you've centered your life in and around Jesus, your identity has forever been changed. Your identity now is as a saint. Now, at that point, depending on your age, you're now thinking of different things. Maybe you're over the kind of forty bracket, me included. And so you're immediately thinking of Roger Moore. Da, 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 da. Small amount of laughter because there's most of us are under the age of 14, so we genuinely haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. For you, I encourage you, YouTube, Roger Moore, The Saint, and then you'll know. Da, 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 da. So we're thinking that. But for most of us in this room, what we're thinking when we hear that word saint is actually someone who religious people... Faith people have decided because of the way they've lived, they should be honoured above and seen differently to everyone else. They've created themselves as different to the rest of us mere mortals in the way they've lived, and therefore they are saints. And yet what Paul does here is he says, actually, no, that isn't for a special few. That's actually how you're to see yourself if you have put your life and centred it around Jesus You are now one who is a saint. Now, please don't hear at this point that I'm saying, introduce yourself. Now, when it gets to the census, you don't don't put like Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Master or Doctor. You put Saint Adrian Hurst. Because I promise you, if you start writing that on stuff, people will just think you're nuts. (laughs) Rather, what we're to understand is what that therefore means for us in terms of our identity. Because actually that word saint carries with it so much meaning. A meaning that comes right through the Old Testament through to the New. (laughs) See what that word saint means. It means that we've been set apart. That we've been said, we are certainly identified that we are different. Different to who we used to be. Different to anyone else who's not sent to their life around Jesus. We're different because God has said we are now set apart. Set apart. To know him, to be in relationship with him, to be like him. God who's infinitely perfect, perfect in loving, perfectly right, perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, perfectly beautiful, perfectly majestic. Says, oh, now I say you're like me and you're mine. So we're set apart to be like him. To be with him, to be in fellowship with him, but also set apart to reveal him. We're identified as those that not only are to know him and to relate to him, but also to reveal him, to serve him. That's what saint means. It means those that have been set aside, those that have been set apart, those who've been set apart to know God and to reveal God. But what wants us to stand? This isn't like a moment of arrogance. This is why you don't write "saint" on everything. It's rather than a moment of understanding who we are when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. It's understanding this is nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. See, it isn't a title that we declare over ourselves. It's rather one that's declared over us out of a father's love. Out of God, who is father, who loves us so much that so he's willing to send his son, Jesus, to die, to... Live and sorry to live to die and rise again in order that we could then be known as His because Paul writes and says, Oh, the saints, you who are set apart for God to know Him to reveal Him, oh, are those that are in Christ. The only reason that we're saints is because we're in Christ. You see, Paul was forever undone by his encounter with the risen Jesus. So you find in the story of Acts that. Paul used to be known by a different name, by a name called Saul. And his own goal, personal goal, was to eradicate anyone who'd centred their lives around Jesus Christ. That was his goal. And he was good at it, really good at it. And so he torture, in prison and kill them. And on one moment where he's going to one town called Damascus to kind of seek out those that have centred their lives on Jesus and say, right, let's get them and let's kill them we're told that as he's on the road there, the risen Jesus appears only to Saul. And in that moment, Saul is blinded by the brightness of this risen Jesus. And as he's blinded by this risen Jesus, he hears one thing uttered by Jesus' lips. And Jesus simply says this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in that moment, it changed everything for Saul, so much so that he had to change his name. He could no longer be identified as Saul. He had to be identified as Paul because suddenly his whole life was turned upside down because he realized something amazing. And that is if you center your life around Jesus, it isn't someone that you're trusting in. It's a connection that's far greater than that. It's actually someone that you are now found in. So much so that Saul realized that actually in that moment, that whatever he did to anyone who centered their lives around Jesus, what he was doing to Jesus himself, that people who centered their lives around Jesus were Jesus' body on earth. And Jesus was intimately connected to them. (laughs) And therefore, for Paul, it forever changed him. He suddenly realized, Man, you're not those who blindly trusting in someone. You're actually those that are now being intricately connected to someone. Someone who you're now in. Someone, as we're going to see through the book of Ephesians, is like the head and you are the body. If I was just the body here, it would be on the floor. We know, whatever knowledge of biology we have, that actually we need our head and our brain to be connected to all the other organs to make our bodies work. A head without a body doesn't work, and a body without a head doesn't work. And Paul understands and says, actually, that's who we are. We're saints because we're in Christ. We're those now that are intimately connected to him. We cannot be separated from him. We only function and nourish through him. We're in Christ. Our identity now, if we centred our lives around Jesus is in the fact that we are now those that have been set, set apart by God, for God. To understand and know his love, to reveal who he is. Understanding we know that, not as those who are outside thinking, look, it isn't God amazing, Father, Son, and Spirit, but rather understanding that we are intimately connected because we're now in Christ. That as the Father has eternally loved the Son, Jesus, he now eternally loves us. We are more loved than we could ever dare to believe. Now, I can believe for a lot of love. Maybe for us, we can't. Maybe we think, well, I don't think there's anything lovable about me. Well, the amazing thing is in that moment where we think there's nothing lovable about me, God says, you know what? I love you more than you could ever dream of. But I love you like I love my son. And I've loved my son for eternity. And eternity's a long time. So our identity suddenly becomes that we are those that are saints in Christ. But with this purpose, you see, it isn't that we then live saying, oh yeah, we're those that are set apart by God. We're set apart by God to know him, to enjoy the fact that we're loved by him, to understand that we then get to reveal him. And understand that because we're actually those that are intimately connected to Jesus. We're as good as it gets in revealing who Jesus is on earth. And they think, well, how we're going to do that is we're going to huddle around with other people who know it. Right, let's hang out on a Sunday morning and just high five each other and say, hey, we're saints in Christ. Fantastic. And it's all ghetto community. And Paul writes and says, oh no, to the saints in a physical place, to the saints in Ephesus, that what you've got, the identity you have, is to be worked out in a very, very earthed setting. So it's for a place called Ephesus at this moment. It's for us, it's for Birmingham. It's understanding that we have been uniquely crafted. We've been uniquely crafted, lovingly made for purpose. Lovingly made for purpose that we would know that we've been set apart by God to enjoy relationship with him, to reveal who he is. Because we understand that we're those that intimately connected to Jesus. Here now in the 21st century... In Birmingham for those of us who live in Birmingham or the location we're in and God has handcrafted us into this moment into the places we live in order that what in order that we could live out our identity in God in that unique place and in order that we could live out uniquely our identity in God in that unique place revealing who God is. And God has uniquely placed every single one of us. We don't all live in the same house in Oasis. Amazing news. We don't all go to the same job, school, university. We don't all go to the same benefits office. We don't all go to the same recovery program. We're all uniquely placed in order that God can say, oh yeah, with you, I'm going to cause you in the unique place I've placed you to uniquely reveal your identity as one who knows me and reveals me, of one who knows what it is to be intimately known by Jesus, connected to him. Because it's you. Like that kid's object they've made. That we might think, man, surely no one's gonna pay attention to that. And yet God, who's this father who lovingly makes things for purpose, says, oh no, this is like pride of place. This is like trophy of grace. This is like me pointing to everyone in the whole of Birmingham and saying, oh, do you want to know what I'm like? Look at them. Look at them. Because when you look at them, you understand who I am. I don't know where your identity is coming from at the moment. But I tell you what, when we start to really get hold of what Paul is revealing here, and I promise you over the weeks we're going to get to see more and more of what it means to be in Christ, what it more and more looks like to be identified through him as those that are saints, set apart for God, by God, for him, to reveal him. It's going to transform us. Because suddenly you think, we're, we're not insignificant. We don't wear this as a badge of arrogance. You rather wear it as a badge of love. We realize we aren't sh- a shameful thing to be hidden on the bottom shelf, hopefully to be disposed of within a week. But rather, someone who is to be placed center stage that anyone could come and look at and see what the wonderful works of God look like. Now at this point you're thinking, that sounds quite a bit of pressure. You don't understand age. You don't understand some of the battles that go going on in my head. You don't understand that sometimes I do find it hard to not choose fear. I do find it hard to, to kind of live as God would want me to. I still mess up. To be honest, there are some times where I think people would be better to think, yes, take me off the bottom shelf and put me in the bin. Well, the point isn't that we get to this point of pressure. Thinking we've been crafted in our identity and our purpose. It's rather what Paul wants us to understand is we are being crafted. That our crafting is an ongoing process by God. So you find in verse two it says this: If we go uh, to being crafted, verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That this statement of grace and peace to you is like a prayer that Paul is continuously praying. So he wants us to understand that if we've centered our life on Jesus, if we're those that now have this sense of identity and purpose, that his prayer for us is that we would understand that God is wanting to shape us daily, moment by moment, by his grace and his peace. That's what he's longing to do. It isn't a pressure down to us of, how can I now show that I've got this status? It's rather a moment of every day, moment by moment, of just coming and saying, God, would you come and shape me more into understanding this unique identity and purpose I have? And how God wants to do that is through two simple words, grace and peace. Grace is God's unconditional love and favor. His unmerited love towards us that causes us to understand we are forever unconditionally accepted. If you live your life understanding you're more loved than you could ever dare to believe, and you will always be loved, no matter what you do or say, it transforms how you live. If you live your life, life knowing that the God who's creator of everything accepts you, no matter what, it transforms how you live. And the invitation is to be taking that on daily, to be shaped by it daily. But not only grace, peace, peace is that word of wholeness. That where we can feel broken and disconnected inside, that God's desire is that we would know that we're whole, not only with him, but also within ourselves. That suddenly there's this rhythm, this shaping that's being asked of us daily to take hold of, that we be those that drink. You see, there's two things we need to do to stay alive, and that is to drink and eat. And so if you like, I want us to shape us, to craft us slightly differently, to understand that we need to daily, moment by moment, just as we drink and eat, we need to be daily drinking of God's grace. Drinking continuously, moment by moment, daily, saying, God, in this moment, I drink in again your unconditional love, favour, mercy, acceptance towards me. That's what I'm drinking in. From the moment I wake up, I don't know, maybe you have an orange juice and a pea. Piece of toast in the morning. In that moment, as you get your orange juice, cranberry juice, whatever it is for you, for me it's coffee. As I get my coffee, I'm drinking it, saying, As I drink this physical drink, God, I'm drinking in as well the spiritual nourishment that you want to give me of your grace. But it's not only we drink, it's also that we eat. That we come. Shouldn't have done that. That's a lot of bread. (laughs) is that we eat peace. Why do we eat peace? We eat peace because it truly satisfies. When you feel broken inside, you're continuously looking for something that satisfies. It's like being hungry. And you know, unless you eat, and if you, as long as you eat the right stuff, you're never truly gonna be satisfied. That's why Jesus said, "Look, come to me, anyone who's weary and, and, and hungry and thirsty. I can come and give you everything. Jesus comes and says, actually, if you come and eat of me, I can give you peace, peace that truly satisfies. Which means we get to live this ongoing sense of being crafted, shaped by him daily. Drinking in his grace, eating in his peace, understanding it crafts us into the identity and the purpose that we have. The questions we're left with then is this. Have we been crafted by him? Do we know we've been crafted? It's a yes or no answer. If the answer is no, then I'd invite you. Why don't you start to explore what it could look like to have your life crafted with Jesus at the center? If it's yes, my question is this, this, are we living shaped by God's crafting? Again, that's a closed question. These are horrible questions, aren't they? There's none of that possibly. Now, this is, are you living shaped by God's crafting? Yes or no? If it's no, the invitation then is, let's get back to being crafted by him. Not by exterior things or the pressures we put on ourselves. But also, if we are being, and if we say, yeah, I know I'm being crafted, we'll go on being crafted by him. In order we reveal what his crafting looks like to others. And the amazing thing is, and this is where we are going to end is that God gave us this crafted meal like no other. In order that we take it and remember something, in order we take it and only remember that it would do us good. And the thing with communion, where we get to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, where we get to remember his body broken, his blood shed, is there are so many ways that we can approach the table. It's never one set way, it's all these different ways. And today what I want us to do, and we're going to finish off literally with five minutes of doing this, is I want us to individually take a moment and as I speak, hopefully bread and juice will be broken and opened um, just so it'll be ready for you. Is that I want us to individually take a moment. I'm probably going to ask Andrew, I've never got, not given any warning whatsoever, so I apologise, Andrew. Um, if you can just play, that would probably be helpful. Is I'm going to ask us in a moment to just take a moment. To take a moment and say, God, am I living in the reality of how you've crafted me? And then from that moment, <coughs> sorry, the bread's repeating. Um, probably more information than you needed. Um, is that in that moment, what I want us to do then is we're going to get to communion. And what I want us to do is then individually, just when we feel ready to go. And as we go, what I want us to do is physically take the cup and take the bread and we we'll say, God, as I drink this in remembrance of your bloodshed, you're dying for me, Jesus. I'm drinking in your grace towards me again. I receive your grace, your unconditional love, mercy, favor, acceptance towards me again. I receive it and say, I want to be shaped by it. And then when we take the bread, we're saying, Jesus, I take your body broken for me in order that I could be whole. And I take it and eat it so I can know peace. So Andrew, will start playing. I'm just going to give some hope. Just if you're not a follower of Jesus, therefore, at this point, you're thinking, that kind of doesn't mean anything to me. That's totally fine. What I'd say is don't take the bread and juice. Just take a moment and say, God, would you keep revealing yourself to me? Maybe today you've never ever said, God, I want you to be at the center. And in this moment, what you're going to do is you're going to take communion by saying, Jesus, as I take this, what I know is I say, I want you to be the center of my life. I take hold of your life, death, and resurrection. I say, I drink in your grace to me. The fact that you love me no matter what. And there is lots not to love about me, but yet you say you love me. And you lived, you died, and you rose again to reveal your love for me. More than I'm going to take some bread, I'm going to eat it. And as I eat it, I'm going to take on the fact that you now promise me peace, wholeness. That I can now know wholeness. I can relate to you. I can relate to you as Father. I can relate to others. I can relate within myself. And just know peace. So let's just take a minute. Just wear eyes. Close our eyes. Say, God, this is where I'm at. I want to be crafted by you.